Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. Well, this week I'm going to continue what I started last week, and the title of that message was Miracle, Mystery, and Authority. If you were here, if you remember that, or if you've listened to it, I'm not going to go over everything that I said last week, but I do want to just go over a few things. And I want to start off with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for your word this morning, and I just pray that you would speak to us by your word, that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, I think above everything else today, we need a revelation from heaven. We need to have ears to hear what it is you are speaking to the church. Lord, I pray that we would be led by the Spirit of God as the sons of God. Open your word to us and speak to us this morning, I ask you, Lord, and we give you honor and praise and glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to jump around a little bit in the beginning, and so I might not even get through all the notes again, and I might have to come back to it later, or some of it might get dumped. I don't, I don't know. just want to follow the Holy Spirit, but I want to start with uh, going back to Zechariah. We looked at this last week, and we've looked at this for a couple of weeks, but in Zechariah chapter 12, it says, It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples, and all who lift it will be severely injured. They'll get hernias. And all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. In that day, declares the Lord, and I will strike every horse with bewilderment and his rider with madness, but I will watch over the house of Judah while I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Isn't when it's saying horses, it's referring to military, of course. Then the clans of Judah will say in their hearts, a strong support for us are the inhabitants of Jerusalem through the Lord of hosts, their God. And in that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a fire pot among pieces of wood, and a flaming torch among sheaves, so they will consume on the right hand and on the left all the surrounding peoples. And it goes on, talks about how Lord, the Lord will defend uh, Jerusalem. And it says in verse 10, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. And this, of course, is speaking of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ prophetically before it ever happened. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. And then it goes on from there. There are many, many things written here in Zechariah. To truly understand it, it would be really good for us to be... um, abiding in these words and and meditating on what the Lord has written here. So I want to pray this morning for the peace of Jerusalem, and let's just pray together. Lord, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem as you have commanded us to pray, Lord, uh, this blessing on the city of Jerusalem, this blessing on the nation of Israel, this blessing, Lord, that you have blessed us with, Lord, that you would cause every eye to look on him whom they have pierced, to look on me, as you've said, whom they have pierced, and that you would pour out a spirit of grace and supplication on Jerusalem and on the tribes of 
uh, clans of Judah and on Israel today, that you would open the eyes, that they would look on you and they would mourn over you as one weeps and mourns over an only begotten son. I pray that the events that are going on in the world today would continue forward, and though times are difficult and difficult things are ahead, Lord, that we would keep our eyes focused on you as we sang this morning, that we would turn our eyes upon Jesus, and we would know that these things, as you said, Jesus, these things must be, these things must happen, and it is not the end yet, but the end will come, not the end of the world, but the end of this age and the beginning of a new age when you return Jesus, which seems to be something that will occur very, very soon. I pray that our hearts would be ready, that we would have courage, we would have strength, and that we would continue to pray for, for a revelation of the Son of God, for a revelation of the Messiah to the people of Israel today, that you would open their eyes to look on him whom they have pierced, Lord. And I pray this blessing, this outpouring of grace and supplication upon Israel, upon Jerusalem today, in Jesus' name, amen. So it says here in Zechariah that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever had a hernia and had a hernia operation. Well, I don't mean to be gross, but I have, and it is not fun. So you do not want to get herniated, let me tell you that, because it's not something that's going to get better. You have to have an operation, and the operation is not pain-free, especially the recovery from that. And so... Men, especially, I think women too, but I know a lot of men in their youth, they do a lot of lifting of things in the wrong way and things they probably shouldn't be lifting because they want to, you know, just like, I'm a man, I can do this, I can handle this. And there are things that our bodies are not able to handle nonetheless. And this is talking about that. that I will make Jerusalem such a heavy stone that everyone who tries to pick it up, they're going to be herniated. And I want to start out this morning by giving you a word of encouragement that comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Okay, I'm not going to open it. I preached out of this not that long ago. Uh, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says these words to the Corinthians, talking about uh, himself and Apollos and different things in that context. But he says these words that you need, I, I, I want you to learn not to exceed what is written in Scripture. I want you to learn not to exceed the Scripture, not to exceed what is written, so that you do not become arrogant one against another. And it's very important for us to stand on the Scripture today and not to add to the Scripture or to take away from the Scripture, not to cherry-pick the verses that we like and reject the ones that we don't like. And there's a lot of that going, on, going around today. Because if we think that we can carry the burden of Jerusalem with, in, in, and, and stand in a place that goes beyond the Scripture, and I'll give you the greatest example of that, if we ever think that by some means or by some way that we can establish the messianic kingdom, that we can cause the promises of God uh, concerning the kingdom of God. And we were talking about this last week, how the kingdom of God will be, 
actually, I think I was talking about this Wednesday night. You need to go on Wednesday night if you want to hear more about this. But the kingdom of God, uh, Jesus said, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who do the work of the kingdom. If we think that we can establish the kingdom of God without the king, then we're, we're very sadly mistaken. You know, there are scriptures, there are words that are promised in scripture that Israel will be established as a nation from the river Euphrates all the way to the Mediterranean Sea and all the way to the Nile in Egypt. And yet that's actually never happened. You can look at any Bible map and even at the furthest extent of the kingdom of Israel during the reign of Solomon, who had the wisdom from God to make peace with all the enemies that were around him and to establish the greatest uh, extent of the kingdom of Israel that's ever existed in history. Even at that time, it didn't even come go very much further than the country of Israel, than the nation of Israel today is. And as we talked about last week, it's important for us to understand certain things, okay? And I'm going to repeat some of those things here in just a few minutes. But before I do that, let me not lose this thread, and I want to have you go over to Jeremiah chapter 23. And in Jeremiah chapter 23, it says in verse 29 that God is speaking to Jeremiah, and he said, again, this, all these chapters around is a great context to read the whole thing, but in verse 29, God says, Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock? God says that my word is like a fire, and it's like a hammer that shatters a rock. And then we go down to verse 33, and it says, Now when this people, or the prophet, or a priest, asks you, saying, What is the oracle of the Lord? And the word oracle means, you know, what is the word of the Lord? What is the Lord speaking today? What is the oracle of the Lord? Then you shall say to them, What oracle? The Lord declares, I will abandon you. Then as for the prophet or the priest or the people who say the oracle of the Lord, I will bring punishment upon that man and his household. Thus will each of you say to his neighbor and to his brother, what has the Lord answered? Or what has the Lord spoken? Sounds a lot like the church today. For you will no longer remember the oracle of the Lord because every man's own word will become the oracle and you have perverted the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Thus you will say to that prophet, what has the Lord answered to you and what has the Lord spoken? But if you say the oracle of the Lord, surely says the Lord, because you said this phrase, the oracle of the Lord, I have also sent to you saying, you shall not say the oracle of the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will surely forget you and cast you away from my presence along with the city, that's Jerusalem, which I gave you and your fathers. I will put an everlasting reproach on you and an everlasting humiliation, which will not be forgotten. And then in chapter 24, none of these things can be cherry-picked out of context. They all need to be read and understood in the context of the Scripture. We cannot exceed what is in Scripture. In chapter 24, Jeremiah is given a vision of a basket with good figs and bad figs. And I don't know how many of you like to eat fresh figs. I do. But a fig is one of those things, it's like a banana, at least for me. I do not like green bananas, and I do not like black bananas. I only like bananas if they're perfectly ripe. <laughs> so I don't really eat very many bananas because that's hard to get. 
And at that moment, when it's perfectly right, you're just not hungry, and then later it's no good except for banana bread or something like that. Well, figs are very much like that. Figs are just disgusting when they're not fresh. And when they're perfectly fresh, they are amazing. I love figs. I mean, that's me personally. Maybe you don't like figs, but I like figs. And this is what was shown to him, that there are good figs and there are bad figs. And God is talking to him about what he's going to do in Jerusalem. He's telling Jeremiah that I will send Judah into captivity for 70 years into Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar will come and Nebuchadnezzar will remove this temple and he will utterly destroy this, this nation, taking you into captivity. But he's saying, I will save a remnant. Over and over again in the scripture, it speaks and in Zechariah. And in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, we're looking at some of that stuff on Wednesday evenings right now. God talks about the remnant, the remnant that shall be saved. And so there are good figs and there are bad figs, okay? And God says to him uh, that you, you don't, when people ask you what the word of the Lord is, you simply say to them, I will abandon you. And that seems like a very hard word to preach. But let me ask you a question before we go any further. Do you believe that Jeremiah loved uh, Jerusalem? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If anybody loved Jerusalem, it's Jeremiah. So if you love someone, you tell them the truth, right? And, and Jeremiah's specific ministry that God told him about from the very beginning is not a very fun ministry. I would not enjoy being in the shoes of Jeremiah if I were uh, called by God to fulfill that ministry. And I think every pastor sometimes feels himself in the shoes of Jeremiah because Jeremiah's job was to preach a word that absolutely nobody wanted to hear. And God told him ahead of time, nobody's going to listen to you and they're all going to reject what you say. And so Jeremiah's preaching this word and the word that he was to preach was that you will go into captivity. You will not defeat the Babylonians. This is not going to turn out the way you think it's going to turn out. But God is going to do all this in order to save you, in order to bring you back to this land, in order to bring salvation and to fulfill his promises. Okay? And nobody wanted to hear that. So Jeremiah is, they try to kill him for that. They throw him in a pit, if you remember. He's the original stick in the mud. The prophet Jeremiah, he's stuck in the mud and they have to pull him out. You know, they have to rescue him out of that. He, do you know that Jeremiah had written with his scribe, Barak, they had written the entire book of Jeremiah, at least up to a certain point. And I don't know if you know how much work it is to write a book. Well, that's a lot of work. And to write a book back then was way more work than it was now. And he had written this entire book, and he showed it to the king, and the king took one look at it, read through it a little bit, or had his readers read through it, and he took his little, you know, Swiss Army knife out, literally his little pen knife out, and just ripped the book all up and threw it in the fire. Well, he didn't have a copy on the hard drive of this book, did he? His whole life's work was destroyed right before his eyes. And all God said to him, was, Jeremiah, take some more pen and paper and write the whole thing again. And, and so the book of Jeremiah that we have is actually a rewrite of the original book. It was a discouraging position for Jeremiah. And it got so discouraging that at one point in the book, he told God, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to be your stooge anymore. 
I'm not going to go around preaching things that you tell me to preach that nobody wants to hear anyway. And so he said, that's it. I'm just not doing it anymore. And that's the point in the book where it says that Jeremiah said, but it was like fire in my bones. I, I couldn't not preach. I didn't want to preach, but I had to preach these words because it was burning on the inside of me. Very much like what Paul says in the New Testament, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Maybe I would like to not preach it. Maybe it would be easier on me if I didn't preach the truth to people. But woe to me if I do not preach this gospel. Now go with me over to John chapter 8. To John chapter 8. Just kind of going fast this morning, but go to John chapter 8. Sometimes a fire and a hammer go fast, and God said his word is like a fire and a hammer. John chapter 8 and verse 31. It says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him. This, this is a really interesting uh, introduction here. Jesus is talking to Jews who believed him in this passage of Scripture. I mean, Jesus does not pull punches. Do you know that? And, and he probably could have made it easier on people to listen, but he just tells them the truth. And so these Jews had believed him. And he says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Well, I think that would have been the end of the sermon. That's the part we remember from this sermon. But they had to open their big mouths. And they answered him and said, oh, we are Abraham's descendants, or Abraham's seed, literally, and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. So they're talking about one level of freedom, and Jesus is talking about something completely different. He's talking about true freedom. Everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. In other words, you will die because of this sin. The wages of sin is death. But the Son does remain forever. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Remember, he's talking to people that believed on him. He says, you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. And they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus says to them, If you are Abraham's children, then do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. And they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. They keep changing their story. Before they said, Abraham's our father. Now they're going to go on to God as our father. And so Jesus takes it another step. Jesus says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. That's... Really not pulling the punches there, Jesus. Not going to get a very good offering of that kind of sermon. And you want to do the desires of your father. You want to do what the devil wants to do because he was a murderer from the beginning 
and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And then he goes on to talk about how he's the father of lies. He's the father of lies. He was a liar from the beginning and a murderer from the beginning. Now look with me at John 16. At John 16. Remember that. He's a murderer from the beginning. He's the father of lies. And John 16, verse 1, speaking to his disciples at the Last Supper, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you so that you may keep from stumbling. They will make you outcast from the synagogue. They will excommunicate you from the synagogue. Because you believe on me, they will excommunicate you from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. Now, just listen to me for a minute. He says, and it's in the direct context, in the direct context, he's talking about the Jewish leaders casting you out of the synagogue uh, because you're my disciples, which did happen, and that they will think they're doing God a service by killing you, which did happen, Saul. Saul thought, I mean, who became Paul? He really thought he was doing God a service by killing Christians. That's what he really believed. He wasn't murdering Christians and, and arresting and taking captive women, children, uh, old people, which is what he was doing, okay? He wasn't doing that because he enjoyed killing people. He was doing that because he thought that he was serving God. He was a Jew who was acting exactly like extreme radical Muslims act when they think they're doing God a service by killing Jews or Christians. Exactly what we've seen with what Hamas did a couple of weeks ago in uh, Israel and are still holding innocent people captive. They think, I don't know what all of them think, but in general, this spirit of murder begins with Satan, okay? And they think they're doing Allah, they think they're doing God a service by kidnapping, by killing, by murdering innocent people just because they either are Jewish or they support Jews, okay? And we've been dealing with radical Islam uh, as, as long as I've been alive. You know, it gets, keeps, keeps getting worse and worse, but I remember being a little kid, and every, every once in a while on the news, they were always talking about a hijacked plane. I, I just remember that, and thinking, oh boy, I hope I never get on a plane that gets hijacked. And I'm a little kid, because it was always in the news. You know, it was always some radical Islam doing, you know, radical Muslim, believer, uh, in the faith of Islam, doing these kinds of things, okay? And I don't think there's, it's any surprise to us that that's the, the stand of those that have been radicalized in the teachings of the Quran. okay? It shouldn't be a surprise to us. However, what could be a surprise to us is how easy it is for us to, and it happens throughout history, uh, for us to take on the attitude and the feelings of our enemy and begin to act in the same way as our enemy acts. And it's a very dangerous position. It's Satan's wiles, it's his tricks, 
It's how he does these things, okay? And right now, in the world, there is a very strong, rising spirit of hatred. Just utter hatred. I have heard this week, Christians, Christians, or people that are nominal Christians, or claim to be Christians anyway, talking about things like the entire Gaza Strip needs to be wiped out, every building completely destroyed, bulldozed, bombed down so nothing is left, and every single human being who lives on the Gaza Strip needs to either be killed or they need to be sent to some other country to live. Okay? Number one, it's not going to happen. Okay? Every time we think that we're going to wipe everything out, I mean, two years ago, Putin is going to be dead by now. The Russian economy is going to be destroyed. And we're going to wipe out Russia completely. And we're going to take over everything. Well, it's not happening, is it? Now we're paying upwards of five bucks a gallon at the tank, you know, and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Because when we take into our mind that we're going to do things that only God can do, it never works out. It never happens, okay? And we can't learn for some reason from history that this stuff just never works out. You know, and, and so I don't want to get into all the politics of Afghanistan and this and that and all these things, but we live in an age where we have endless wars and we always have somebody that we have to hate. And I'm tired of it. Personally, as a Christian, I'm tired of having to hate somebody. Okay? I can promise you 100%, and you can throw rocks at me if you want to, but it's not God's will for every Arab to be wiped off of the face of the earth. Jesus came to die for all men. Jesus loves the world. And Jesus said that this spirit of hatred, it's from the devil, it's not from God, okay? And then, and then you have to add now, well, that doesn't mean I'm not condemning what Hamas did and blah, 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 blah. Well, of course I condemn what Hamas did. Everybody should get, but we've been condemning what these Hamas-type people have been doing all of my life. That doesn't mean we should start acting like that. Because if our response is to hate other people, I heard somebody who claims to be a Christian telling, uh, talking about how we have totally misunderstood the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. That Jesus isn't really saying turn the other cheek and all this kind of stuff. Really? I mean, read it. Read what Jesus wrote. He is actually really saying that. How does that apply? Well, that's a really... You know, tricky thing. I'm gl actually glad I'm not the president of the United States or in some position where I had to make those decisions, okay? Because as I've said before, war is a necessary thing. It's almost like a necessary evil. It's not God's original plan for us. But it is a, ne a necessary thing. And the scripture says plainly in the New Testament that God has given the ruler a sword. God has given him that sword so that he can punish evildoers and he can reward those who do good, okay? So he bears the sword. And Paul specifically was talking about the Roman government at that time. And boy, did they bear a sword that all the Jews in the time of Paul hated. But Paul's telling them that Rome has this sword from God and you can't just take it away. If they misuse that sword, God will punish them. But you can't do anything about that. All you can do is pray for kings and rulers uh, so that we might live a quiet and peaceable life 
so that people might know the truth of Jesus Christ. That's what he told Timothy. Let's pray. We need to pray. But we don't need to pray for people to be killed, for people to be wiped out, for people to be murdered, whatever. Yeah, I, I get it. Israel has a right to defend itself. I mean, I'm listening to all the same things, and I know that, okay? 100%, I know that. You know, Israeli flag, I support Israel, 100%. I know it, what God is doing in these last days. But if we adopt as Christians today an attitude of hatred, I promise you that you will see that Jerusalem will become the heavy stone that will crush and destroy you also. Because hatred just has this little way of working. You hate this person today, and that hatred turns back against you tomorrow. And people change their flags real quickly. You know, first it's Ukrainian flags, then it's Israeli flags, you know, and tomorrow it's going to be Palestinian flags or Iranian flags or something else. But eventually, hatred always has a way of working around to destroy the person who hates. When we carry hatred in our heart, that hatred destroys us on the inside. You know, I've lived in my life and had certain people who've just hated my guts, and I can't understand why. Probably everybody has experienced that. And you want to hate them back. And you, keep, you start hating them back. And you start carrying a burden or a, 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 you know, a, a grudge against them and, and feeling this towards them. And a little time goes by and you realize that you're destroying your own house, that you're destroying your own health, that you're destroying your own life. And you're like, God, I am so tired of hating. And he's saying, then why don't you just forgive them? Well, they didn't ask forgiveness. I didn't say anything about that. You know, leave them to me. I'll take care of them. But what about you? You're not designed to hate. God is love, okay? And yes, the God of love sent a flood on the earth and destroyed every single human being except for Noah and his family. And yes, the God of love told the Israelites when they came out of the wilderness and were going into the land of Canaan to kill every man, woman, child, and beast and to wipe the Canaanites out completely. They didn't do it. But he told them to do that. There are reasons why, and I could preach a sermon on that, why that was necessary to be done at that time. But never did God give the king the authority to decide that he would commit genocide, if that's what we call it. That to decide that he would displace an entire people or wipe an entire nation out. And you can look in history. Every time kings tried to do that, it comes back to haunt them. It comes back to destroy their own their own country, because God did not give them the sword so that they could decide those things. God decides those things, and God establishes those things when that is necessary. But you know, you see that in the Old Testament, and yet at the same time, let me give you some pretty cool examples. Here's a big one. It's even in Hebrews chapter 11. Do you know that there is a hero of faith in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, that was a member of a Canaanite nation, okay? And God had commanded that this woman be killed, that she be destroyed. And not only that, she was a prostitute. And her name was Rahab, okay? And yet God didn't kill her. She was saved because she had faith. And we see, and that example is huge in the New Testament, okay? Why is it so big in the New Testament? Because God wants you to understand that the seed of Abraham, the kingdom of God, 
always was a seed of faith and trust in God. And that anyone, even a Canaanite prostitute from Jericho, can turn to God, can turn her heart towards the living God. And God will save her. And not only her, but her entire family was saved by the blood of Jesus. And not only that, but Jesus, the Messiah, is actually born according to the flesh from the family of that Canaanite woman, from the family of that Canaanite dog. Remember how Jesus said to one of these women, because there were still some of them alive at that time, that you're just a dog, and I can't give you the healing, because the healing belongs to, the, Jesus said that to her. The healing belongs to the children. And she said, oh, but even the dogs get to get, go under the table and lick up the crumbs. Remember that? Yeah. And Jesus said what? He said, I haven't found this kind of faith in all of Israel. And she was saved. And her family was saved because salvation is by faith. It's not by natural birth, but it's by faith. If there's any prayer we should be praying, or I, I know for me, for Israel today, is that their eyes would be opened through all these events that are happening. And more events are going to come. And I think before the end of the year, we'll see other things. You know, people are finding a hard time, I find it hard, to know what to even say about what's going on right now. Because we have one thing after another. The, you know... The, the Russia thing, I think I felt that was going to happen about a month before it happened uh, in, in February of uh, uh, 2022. Uh, but, but it was still a huge surprise on the world stage. COVID, complete surprise on the world stage. And nobody, and I'm talking about zero, nobody thought in September that these events in Israel were going to happen in October. And I'm talking about Christian prophetic people, and I'm talking about politicians. Nobody was ready for this. So we're going to keep getting shocked by one thing after another. And we need to remain and stay and stand on Scripture. And if there's anything that we need to know from Scripture, is that it is not God's will to kill people in the name of God. Amen. Okay? <laughs> it says it right there. It's not of God to, God's not a murderer. The devil is a murderer, okay? And when I say kill people, again, I, I just keep having to explain all these things. The Bible says thou shalt not murder. It does not say thou shalt not kill, technically, okay? If the, word, the Hebrew word there means to murder. And there's a difference between a righteously or legally, if you will, executed war and things that are called war crimes, and things that are called terrorism, things that are just murder, okay? And I pray for the leadership of Israel today to have the wisdom from God to understand that. And it seems that perhaps that's why they haven't even started the ground uh, uh, invasion or whatever you, you call it. Uh, they haven't put boots on the ground inside of Gaza yet. I don't know the reasons for that. It may be reasons that I completely don't understand, and I'm definitely not the person to explain the political side of all this, but I do know this, that there are people who need Jesus Christ, and the gospel needs to be preached. And for that to happen, we need peace, because that's what Paul told Timothy to pray for, for us to have a peaceful and quiet life that the gospel may be preached. I could give you many, many testimonies of people, but I want to go back now um, and, and let me tell you something else. Speaking, we spoke about Rahab. Do you remember what God said to Moses? 
This also shows you that this is a deal that this has to do with faith. You know, Abraham wasn't born a Jew. Did you know that? Abraham wasn't born Hebrew. He didn't have Hebrew parents. He had Babylonian parents. Okay? How did he become Hebrew? By faith. Okay? The family of God is a family of faith because he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So remember what God said to Moses. When, and, and Moses interceded and God changed his mind. But Moses said, this entire nation, Israel, I'm going to completely wipe it out. God said to Moses. He said, I'll start over with you, Moses. Do you remember that? And Moses interceded on the behalf of them. But God was you know, saying, this thing is not a matter of you're born with this birth certificate that says that. It's not because you're not a Christian because you're an American. Okay? This, this has to do with faith. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, if, if God is your father, then why don't you do the things that God does? If God is your father, then why don't you walk as God walks? Why don't you feel what God feels? So I'm going to get into this a little bit more, but I just want to give you this to begin with. Don't exceed what's written in Scripture. If you don't know what to say, then just shut up, okay? If you don't know how to interpret the events that are going on in the world, then just Wait a little bit, okay? Because things become clearer later. But if somebody's trying to push on you a spirit of hatred, reject that hatred, okay? Because God's doing something bigger than any of us understand. And he is at work, and we don't need to meddle in what he's doing. We need to stand our ground and continue to do what he told us to do. What did he tell us to do? Well, it's real clear. It's in Matthew 28. It's everywhere. To preach the gospel to every nation. To fulfill this great commission. To make disciples of every nation. Not of one nation against another, but of every nation. Whoever those people may be. So some of the things I said last week, um, and I'm just going to repeat these before we move on, is that it's important for us to understand that the Palestinians are not Canaanites. Okay? Because I hear people saying, well, God said wipe all the Canaanites out and everything. The Palestinians, that was... That was done already, okay? We've moved beyond that in Scripture. You don't see that in the New Testament. And again, there are reasons why the Canaanites had to be wiped out. And it had to do with things like Goliath and the Nephilim and people like this and all this kind of stuff. But that doesn't matter right now. God's not saying that today. He said, make disciples of every nation, okay? And so when we go to Scripture, it's important for us to understand, looking at the world today, that those people we call Palestinians, they're Arabs, okay? By and large, they're Arabs. You can look at their faces and see that they're Arabs. And that means they're descendants of Ishmael. By and large, they're descendants of, of Ishmael. And I'm not just talking about D DNA and all that kind of stuff, but how they see themselves, okay? They are descendants of Ishmael. Have you ever read what God says about Ishmael? He's, you know, the son of Abraham through Hagar, the Egyptian. And... The son according to the flesh. So if you would just take the time to go read in Genesis chapter 17, start there where Ishmael's born, and then read everything up to when Ishmael and Hagar are kicked out because Sarah said, get rid of them, and God said, listen to what Sarah says. Okay, if you would read that entire story, you would understand that Abraham loved Ishmael. Okay? And that Abraham interceded on behalf of Ishmael 
and prayed to God, and he said, May Ishmael stand before your face, O God. And God granted him that prayer. That God cares about the sons, the tribes of Ishmael. And God said that there will be 12 tribes of Ishmael. And God said ahead of time, Ishmael is going to be like a wild donkey. I mean, that nothing about what Arabs do should surprise us. Because God said it ahead of time. It's going to be like a wild donkey. That he's going to be against everybody. He's going to be stubborn. He's not going to do what you want him to do. And everybody's going to be against him. But I'm still going to bless him. I'm still going to make Qatar one of the richest nations on earth. I'm still going to take uh, uh, the, the, the uh, empire of the great Khan and make it one of the wealthiest empires that's ever existed on the face of the earth, even though he's not going to be a Christian, even though he's going to be a Muslim. You know, I'm still going to put all this oil there for them. You know, and I'm going to bless the children of Ishmael. God promises to do that, but not only with physical prosperity, but he promises if, you, if we could, as Christians, go back to that and stand on that, we might see revival break out instead of war. Wouldn't that be better? I mean, I'm sick of reading about war every single day. I just want to raise my kids and live my life. I know that there are wars and rumors of war, wars and these things have to happen. I know what Jesus said, okay? But that doesn't mean I desire those things. That doesn't mean I enjoy those things. You know, everybody loves war. Well, if you really love war, then put the suit on, take the weapon, and go fight it. You'll hate it, okay? You're not going to love it when all of your friends are dying around you. You're not going to love it when you're dying in pain. Nobody that's ever come back from real war talks about how much they love war. I couldn't get my dad to tell me one single word about his time uh, in the submarine. He was on the sub at the end of uh, the last year of World War II. He never talked about World War II with us. And he wasn't an infantry man. He was in the sub. I've never heard anybody that's come back from war that just loved war. That's something weird. We're not designed to love killing each other. If it has to happen, it has to happen, okay? But you, you, you know the kinds of problems that soldiers have when they come back. They got names for them, alphabet letters for everything and stuff. This is not something that we want to happen, okay? Maybe it's gonna happen, but wouldn't revival be better? Because it can happen. It can happen that Jesus Christ, if we pray and ask for these things, can reveal himself to Palestinians and to Israelis. There are many examples of this. I mean, you can just go online. I, I watched a thing from the 700 Club that was out last week sometime. And I don't watch the 700 Club because I don't have regular TV and all that kind of stuff. But this was online. And it's a, a guy, he's kind of famous, um, who was a fighter for Hezbollah, a Muslim, an Iranian. You, you can find this online. And it was on the 700 Club. So, you know, good conservative Christian TV. And, and this guy was in prison in Malaysia uh, because he was on his way to America, but he had fake passports and everything. He got arrested. And this, this happened back in the early 90s, I think, or late 80s. And while he was in prison, this Muslim, dedicated Muslim, that Jesus appeared to him in the prison. And he cried out for forgiveness because he knew that Jesus came to kill him. Because in his testimony, he says, I understood for the first time ever that I am a sinner. 
and that I deserve to die. Just like I was killing people, now he's come to kill me. But Jesus forgave him. Well, he became a Christian, long story short. Well, he was actually in Israel doing his ministry at the moment the, the, the uh, Hamas attack occurred. And I'm not going to tell the whole thing. You can listen to yourself. But it's just amazing the things that he's praying and the love that he has both for Israelis and for Arabs and the, the message of love that, that he's preaching on that particular video. There are many examples of this. Jesus has ways of, break, of reaching Muslims. And he has ways of reaching Jews. And he had a way to reach you and me. When you weren't even looking for him or asking for him, Jesus found you in this life. And he's brought you by his love. It's his love and his mercy, the Bible says, that brings us to repentance. Do you know that? It's God's mercy that brings people to repentance. It's his mercy that brings me to repentance. And what he's preaching there in, in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is talking about these things, you know, yeah, war is necessary sometimes. But turning the other cheek means that you temper your power because you have the power to kill the person, but instead of doing that, you look for a way to minister God's mercy and his grace and to bring peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, he says. I actually heard my son, Stephen, preaching on this not that long ago in Russia, and, and uh, he said a really good word. He said, every dad understands this, because every dad knows physically, at least, well, not now that Frank's so big, probably, but when his kids are little, I mean, you could really knock your kids around and you could probably, you know, you could just kill them physically. Nobody does that, I hope. Those that do should go to prison, right? They should probably be killed themselves for doing those kinds of things. What does a dad do? He tempers his physical strength with meekness and kindness and brings forth a punishment or a discipline that actually will help his child, that can actually bring peace to, to his child. So no, Jesus did not make mistakes when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. What he said is what he said, and what he meant is what, is what he meant. So, and the, these people, they are children of Ishmael. Uh, again, from last week, the land of Gaza is not uh, the land of the Canaanites. It's the land of the Philistines, okay? God never said wipe out the Philistines. In fact, he used the Philistines to punish Israel so that Israel would keep turning back uh, to him. And that's just, you know, a lot of things that I said last week that I'm not going to repeat. Now, we're talking about the mystery of the Amalekites, which is the mystery of lawlessness in last week's message. And we looked at 1 Samuel 15 when I was finishing there, um, uh, when God, uh, through Samuel, told Saul to wipe out the Amalekites completely, and, and, and Saul did not do that and how their king, Agog, was taken hostage, and how later in history, Haman in the book of Esther comes from this same line, the same Amalekite, and how the Amalekites appear before that and they appear after that. I don't know if you remember this, but there's a mystery of the Amalekites in Scripture. We don't really know who they are, but it is the mystery of lawlessness. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. And how God said to Saul that to obey is better than sacrifice, and that your rebellion is like witchcraft, that your insubordination is like iniquity and like idolatry, which is this pride that I will lift my throne up 
above the throne of God. I don't... I, I saw something this, I think a couple of days ago, this, this week, that really shocked me. And it's just a little tiny thing, but it really surprised me. So uh, our president, he may not be your president, but the guy that's officially called the president of the United States, <laughs> people still got those bumper stickers, he ain't my president and all that, you know. But, but you, you know who the guy I'm talking about. So he went to Israel, right? And I'm uh, uh, not, not sure that helped anything, but he went there. And then he came back home, and he made a speech. And I, I promise you, I tried to watch that speech, and I, I couldn't watch very much of it. Um, in fact, I couldn't hardly. I just felt I was watching that speech, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm going to be honest with you. I tried to watch his speech, not in real time, but you know, after it was already done. And I'm watching for about three minutes. And I turned it off because I just felt like I'm watching something that God is completely ignoring. I don't know how to explain that. Like, this is not important to God, so why am I wasting my time on it? But I've seen different excerpts from it and how Putin's a tyrant and we're going to send 60 billion more to Ukraine and 40 billion here. And they don't really send that money, they just make more weapons. But anyway, um, he said something that just really stuck out to me. He was talking about how we have our divisions in the United States of America. But we need to lay those divisions aside because Russia and, uh, did he call them Hamas? Or, I think Hamas. It's like somehow Russia, a nation with a thousand year history that's one sixth of the world's landmass, uh, is, is equivalent to a small group of militant terrorists somehow. But somehow we have to defeat Russia and Hamas and then we'll have security in the world today. And so I was listening to the political side of that, and, but he said these words. He said, we have these differences in the United States, but we, but we have to be united. Because if we are united, then we are capable of doing anything. And I might not be quoting it exactly, but that's what he said. That if we are united, we are capable of doing anything. And when I heard those words, being a student of the Bible, I realized I know where that comes from. That comes from the Tower of Babel. When God said, I'm not going to let them be united because if they're united, they can do anything. And I'm going to stop them from being united. I'm going to make it so they can't understand each other. I'm going to make the divisions even worse. And when he said those words, I cried out, literally cried out in my heart to God, oh God, please don't let this be any worse. I'm so tired of fighting in America, of hating each other. But God's, you know, is... Is there something that God is doing to stop us from destroying ourselves and maybe to actually save our nation and bring revival? I, I, I can't even put words to it. I, I literally don't know how to interpret everything that's going on right now. So I don't even want to pretend that I know how. I don't want to exceed the scripture. But I know that God is a God of love. He's not only a God of love, God is love, the scripture says. So look at me at Hebrews chapter 10. That's the really long introduction, but I promise you the rest of it's not going to go so long. Maybe. If it does, I'll stop. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and in verse 4. And again, I'm just continuing what we started last week. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. Uh, 
It said, well, let me start with verse 3. It says, in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. Okay? So, the temple still stands at the time Hebrews is written. Within two to three years after Hebrews is written, well, at least within five years, uh, because this is written towards around 60, uh, A.D. 65, perhaps, or in that little short time period. In A.D. 70, the temple will be destroyed completely. But all the Jews, they've put their trust still in the system that exists. And Jesus told them it's not going to stay. You need to be ready for that. And in Hebrews, so he says, in those sacrifices, the ones they're doing there in Jerusalem, he says there's a reminder of sins year by year. So every time that Yom Kippur comes around and the sacrifice is brought and the blood is brought into the Holy of Holies, it reminds you that you're a sinner. A reminder of sins. Do you know, by the way, that being a Christian and going to church is not supposed to be about being reminded about how bad you are all the time? It's not supposed to be about being reminded of sins all the time. Yeah, sometimes we get spankings in the church, but that's not supposed to remind us that we're sinners. It's supposed to remind us that we're sons because God only spanks kids that belong to him. Okay? So those are a reminder of sins year by year. Because it's an impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Well, that makes sense because I'm not a bull and I'm not a goat. I'm human. Therefore, when he, Jesus, comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. After saying above sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law, then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. What did Jesus say? If you are the children of Abraham, then why don't you do the works of Abraham? If you are the children of God, then why don't you do the works of God? Jesus said, coming into the world prophetically, these are quotations from the Old Testament, but it's what Jesus says prophetically, coming into the world. He's making his entrance into the world, and he says, I have come to do your will, Father. Not my will, but yours be done. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. And by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So Jesus came into the world with this purpose, to abolish the old way of sacrifices so the temple is not necessary anymore. The physical temple is not necessary anymore. Jesus died once for the sin of all mankind, whatever race they're from, whatever economic category they fall in. He died for all men and for all women. Jesus came into the world to abolish the old way and to establish a new covenant that's a better covenant. That's actually the message of the entire book of Hebrews. So why do you keep going back to the old when Jesus came to establish something new? But I want you to notice what Jesus is armed with. It's a lot of armament talk these days. What is Jesus armed with? Because I want to propose to you that this is all we as Christians should be armed with. I'm not making an anti-Second Amendment uh, speech here, okay? 
you know, I got guns at home too, and I like to hunt and all that stuff. But, but what should we really be armed with spiritually? I mean, is my gun at home really going to establish God's righteousness on earth? No. What should we be armed with spiritually? So Jesus came into the world. He was not armed with the sacrifices and offerings of the old way. He's not a priest according to the order of Aaron, is he? He's a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He does not have the right to go into the holy place of the temple, and never once in his life on this earth did he go into that holy place. When it says he went into the temple, it means that he just went into the temple where everybody went into the temple, right? Okay? So he's not armed with those sacrifices and offerings of the old way. And in fact, when he dies on the cross, you know that the, the, the uh, a curtain that covered over the Holy of Holies was written too, and it was just thrown open. And by the way, it was revealed to be empty. There was no Ark of the Covenant in there because it, had not, it has not been found since the days of Jeremiah, and it's not with Indiana Jones somewhere either. <laughs> Nobody knows where it is. Maybe, maybe they'll find it someday or whatever. But God doesn't need that ark anymore because of Jesus. He's armed with only one thing. He's armed with a body prepared by his Father to do the will of the Father as in the scroll of the book it is written. And what else do we need? We have the Word of God. We do not go beyond Scripture. We know what it says in the Bible. And we have a physical body that God has given to us to do His will. So we have a mouth that can move and make noises, right? And we call that speech. <laughs> and so our speech should be speech that glorifies God. Our speech should be speech that makes intercessory prayer according to the will of God, not prayers that are just witchcraft. Because there are prayers that are just witchcraft, trying to control and manipulate and force God and force people to do my will. But Jesus' prayer is this, not my will, but your will be done. He came into the world to do the will of the Father. And when he was on the cross, the Jews, and again, when we say the Jews, and when the scripture says the Jews, it doesn't mean all Jewish people. It's the Jewish establishment, those who were ruling at that time. They come by the cross, they're mocking him, they're spitting on him, and the crowd that got swept up in it, okay, because some crowd always gets swept up in it. It's the same crowd that says, Hosanna, on this Sunday, you know, and then uh, the, the uh, next week, by, before, before Friday even, they're already saying, crucify him, crucify him. That's how fast they change their flags. So they come by him and they say this. They taunt him. They say, you who destroys the temple and rebuilds it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So he says, prove, that's Matthew chapter 27, prove to us that you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Do a miracle. Remember the title of the message actually is Miracle, Mystery, and Authority, which comes from the Dostoevsky that I was reading to you last week. Do a miracle and prove that you are the Son of God. Well, does Jesus do that? No. He refuses that. He rejects those false miracles. I mean, it would have been a real miracle, but not by the will of God. So it's not a real miracle anymore. It's just a real magic trick. Because it's not by the will of the Father. 
He rejects those miracles. He rejects the mystery and he rejects the authority that the mystery of lawlessness employs to control men and keep them enslaved to their sinful nature. Why do we need to keep people enslaved to their sinful nature? Why do we need to stir up everything that's been going on over all these years, BLM protests, blah, 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 blah. Finally, I went to Portland, what was it, a year ago, to my niece's wedding right before they moved from Oregon and bailed out and went to Florida, and my niece went to Colorado, uh, my, the other niece went to Colorado, and the other niece went to Texas, and one nephew from my sister's family, he still lives in Oregon. <laughs> and bam, what a beautiful state, Oregon, man. Now I understand why people, droves of people, crossed over this vast desert just to get to Oregon. That's an amazing place. And then we went to where the wedding venue was and we had to go through parts of Portland that I was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen so many tents in my life. I've never seen so much destruction, so much graffiti, so much, I just couldn't believe what's happened to that, to that city. And that's in cities all across America. I mean, just go to the river in, in Reno. And I'm not saying anything <clears throat> disparagingly about uh, homeless people or something like that. I don't know the individual circumstances of that individual person. But I do know this, that somebody who sits at the controls wants this to keep happening. These things are being pushed. This division, this hatred, this strife, stirring up of chaos, and stirring up of, of, of trouble. Why do we want to keep people poor? Why do we want to keep people enslaved to sin? Why is this fentanyl thing going all over this entire nation? Why can't we ever seem to stop anything? Well, because in the spirit of darkness, the spirit of lawlessness, this, this mystery of the Amalekites, it wants to keep people enslaved to sin for one simple purpose, because the wages of sin is death. And it wants people dead. That's it. It's a culture of death. Since I was a little kid, literally, first grade probably, I remember teachers talking to us about how our earth is overpopulated. We already got three billion people. And we got to get rid of some of these people. The earth can't sustain it. Well, they haven't stopped saying that. It's just getting worse. Anyway, go with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. This will be real quick. Jesus rejects the miracles. He rejects the mystery. He rejects the false, the false miracles, the false mystery, the false authority. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. I would too, after one day. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, and I'm going to add these words because this is what it means. If you are the Son of God, prove it. Command that these stones become bread. That's the miracle that Jesus rejects. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So there are miracles that Jesus rejects. There are miracles that do not do the will of the Father. 
but they are only designed to fill the bellies of men and control them. The one time, or actually he did it twice, that he, that he multiplies the bread, you know, and, and feeds the 5,000, right? Uh, they won't leave him alone. He has to literally escape and hide from them because all they want is for him to keep making bread for them. And he didn't come to make bread for everybody. Remember how they got manna in the wilderness? Do, do you realize that at the very moment they were, they were told to cross over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, manna stopped and never came back again? Because the manna was just like, you know, to fill in the gap of their failures and their sins since they had to hang out in the wilderness for a long time. I mean, when God is just providing everything for you, you can sit on, you know, your, sit in your lazy boy and watch TV all the time and you don't have to do anything for it. That probably means something's wrong, okay? Not that something's right. Okay? So the manna stopped. And Jesus didn't come just to multiply bread for everybody. There are miracles that just fill the bellies of men. But those, those miracles, they're not God's miracles. Do you know that we have miracles of science today, and our trust is more in science. I'm not saying your trust and my trust, I hope. But our trust as a society is more in science today than it is in God. Way, way more. And what did we hear about for two years during the pandemic? It's just science, science, trust the science, trust the science, science, science. And, you know, I, I'm not getting science. I love science. Science is great. Well, let me give you an example. Elon Musk, and I'm going to tell you right now, and this might not be popular to say, but I actually like Elon Musk. Now, I wouldn't mind having a Tesla. I know, I don't know Tesla. I'm driving my pickup on diesel. Well, you probably never drove a Tesla. My son-in-law used to have a Tesla, and I drove that Tesla around Norway, and that thing was fun to drive. It was really powerful, and it was a really nice car. And from that moment on, I thought, no, if Elon Musk wants to give me a Tesla, I'll take one of those things. But I would like for them to put some charging stations up so I could actually get from here to Utah or something in the thing. But be that as may, you know, nothing, I don't have any beef with Elon Musk. But he's got this thing called Starlink. Have you all ever heard of that? Yeah. Have you heard of that, Shaleen? you got the Starlink out there, don't you? And it's pretty nice, isn't it? Well, I wouldn't mind having the Starlink. That's not a bad idea. But have you ever seen Starlink? with your physical eyes. Have you seen that? Well, it's just like beep, beep, just stars going across the side. Well, Frank and I were out hunting a couple weeks ago, or a week and a half ago, and I was up at 9,000 feet in the Toyabe Mountains. And he was so tired, he got in that tent, went to sleep. And I was sitting by the fire, and I look up, and I see so many stars. It's amazing. And the, so there's no moon. And so I see the, the, the Milky Way so clear. And I've got, got my binoculars out. I don't have a telescope. I've got binoculars. And I looked right into that Milky Way. And do you know what I saw? I saw billions and billions of stars that you could never count. And I felt like I was Abraham. And God's saying, look up there and you try to count those stars. And I'm looking up there and I'm like, and I'm literally singing worship songs, Lord, just praising the Lord. I'm having such a time with God. And here comes Starlink, beep, 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 beep. And I'm telling you for a brief moment, even though I like Elon Musk and want to have a Tesla, I wouldn't mind having a Tesla and wouldn't be mind hooked up to Starlink. I was mad at that guy. How, I mean, I literally felt like I'm in worship service and somebody released a pack of dogs into the church. I was like, how dare you? 
interrupt my communion with God with your chintzy little fake stars going across the sky. Okay? And first thing I thought is it's a bunch of UFOs. <laughs> and I thought, no, I think that's Starlink. And I asked Frank about it the next day. He goes, oh, Dad, that's Starlink for sure. Because there were like 20 of them. You could count them. It was like right across the sky. But that, that's what I'm saying. Every miracle that man can do, even if it's really nice and it's helpful, okay, uh, it, it, can, it doesn't even compare with what God does. There's no comparison with what God does. So Jesus rejects those miracles that do not do the will of God because they ultimately are the things Satan uses to control the minds of men. He rejects the mystery. It goes on and it's, it says there, then the devil took him into the holy city, Jerusalem, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he says to him, if you are the son of God, again, if you are the son of God, then prove that. Prove it to me. Prove it to the world. And why don't you just prove it to yourself too? He's sowing doubt into the mind of Jesus at a very vulnerable time when Jesus has not, remember Jesus is a physical man just like you and me. And he has not eaten for 40 days. You're vulnerable. And he, and he says to him, if you are the son of God, right? Throw yourself down. And then he uses the Bible. He's so, he's so tricky. So, thinks he's so smart, that devil. He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. See, that's what Satan wants us to do. Just cherry pick Bible verses but not listen to what the scripture really says. So Jesus says to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And he rejects this mystery. What do I mean by that? So to throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple is to test God, to prove that, that God is on your side to prove that God, to put God into a corner, let me put it that way, that I'm going to force God to do what I want God to do. Now, the most likely scenario, we can't talk about this because he didn't do it, but if Jesus had thrown himself down, I think he probably would have just splattered on the ground because he was not in the will of God by throwing himself down. But he didn't do that, so we don't even really need to talk about that. But there's this entire mystery that things are not uh, revealed, things are not understood. And there is a mystery of God. And Paul talks about mystery. There's God's mystery, okay? But do you realize that Jesus is not mysterious? Jesus said, every single thing that the Father has told me, I've told you. He didn't say, oh, you've got to be indoctrinated into the 25th level of Christendom before you can understand these things, you know. We've got all these secret rituals that we perform and walk around in our secret holy underwear or something and all this stuff that's going on, okay? There's no mystery to it. Everything you need to know is written in Scripture. Everything. It's the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. Because when we take control of God's mystery, we make ourselves the God. And then we, reveal, then we get into this thing where I've got my truth, you've got your truth. We reveal truth to people the way we want them to understand that truth. It's not by mistake 
that the media never allows you, if you only listen to the media, you're never allowed to actually understand anything. You're always clouded in confusion constantly. It's a mystery. We don't really know what's going on there. It's like North Korea. It's behind closed walls. We can't understand. We can't see anything. We don't know anything. And Jesus rejects this position. There's only one mystery that Satan really has. It's called Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth in Revelation 17.5. It says that this mystery is written upon her head. And then he rejects the authority. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. So there is an authority that does not come from the father. It is an authority that was stolen in the garden by Satan. Notice that Jesus does not say to Satan, oh, these kingdoms aren't yours. You can't do that anyway, because they actually are his. He stole that authority in the garden by our sin. And he says that if you will bow down and worship me, if you will fall down and worship me, then I will give you all these kingdoms. You won't have to wait for the kingdom of God to come on earth. You can have the kingdom of God right now. All you got to do is switch gods, come and worship me, and I'll give you the kingdom of God. And you'll be the king in this kingdom if you just come and bow down and worship me. This authority to rule over nations, this authority to make nations, to establish nations, to be the kingmaker, to establish God's kingdom the way that we want God's kingdom, is something that comes from Satan. And Christ rejected this. But the Antichrist always accepts this. Okay, That's what it means to be the Antichrist is to accept this offer from Satan, to bow down and to worship Satan in order that you might have his authority over nations. It is the mystery of lawlessness that we began talking about last week. I'm going to give you one last verse. It's 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. So we've been talking about for two weeks now about this mystery of the Amalekites, this mystery of lawlessness. How Jesus has rejected these temptations of Satan. But this Antichrist spirit, this spirit of hatred, this spirit of lawlessness that's all around us today, it has accepted all three of these things. It clouds itself in the propaganda of this mystery so that truth can be, so-called truth can be revealed to the minds of people and it can be completely controlled. It works its miracles of science so that nobody can ever even see the stars again. I mean, go spend one night out there. You've done it. That one night you're thinking, why did Edison ever invent light bulbs? I mean, for one brief second you think that. Why did we have to ever have the light bulb? You know, and then you get back to civilization and you're perfectly happy there are light bulbs and everything. But something about that little feeling you get when you're out there, that's holy. That's righteous. 
That's the kingdom of God. And the Antichrist always accepts this authority. So this is what John says. I love how John writes. It's so simple. 1 John 2, 15. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's the miracles that we make for ourselves. I mean, I know when you think of lust of the flesh, the first thing you think of is pornography or something like that. Okay, what is pornography? It says, I'm going to make the miracle of, of beautiful love and sex for myself. It's a perversion. And it never fulfills anybody. It's just complete emptiness. Okay? The lust of the flesh. And it's way beyond just what I just described. I'm just giving you the ugliness of it. But there's plenty of lust, I'm gonna, you know, lust of the flesh out there. It's, it's accepting Satan's offer. I'm going to turn the stones to bread. I'm just going to do this for myself. And he says, the lust of the eyes. That's the mystery part of it. That I'm going to reveal to my eyes the things that I want to reveal and hide them from the eyes of others. I'll have my truth, you can have your truth. The lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, well, that's obviously the authority part of it, that we wield the authority. We lift our throne up above God's. We're going to do what we want to do. So he said, don't love these things. Don't love them. Don't love hatred. It's not from God. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not going to be in him. So if you love the things of the world, then you're diminishing the love of the Father on the inside of you. To the, to the level that you allow hatred to build up on the inside of you, to that level the love of God diminishes inside of you. So let the love of God grow. There, there is a place for righteous judgment. And when you walk in the love of God, he will always carefully lead you to thread that needle if you have a position of authority to do those things. I mean, I, I never have been in, in, in battle. I've never, you know, I beat some people up when I was a kid or something like that. But, you know, I've never been in the army. I've never served anywhere like that. So maybe I'm just, you know, talking out the side of my mouth here. But I really believe just because I see it in Scripture with David and other people, that you can be on the front lines in battle and you can be fighting, you can be killing people and you can still guard your heart and walk with love. And that an entire nation can execute war but do it tempered with mercy and tempered with wisdom in a way that it actually brings peace. So, he says, don't love these things. He says, the world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Remember what Jesus said. If you're Abraham's kids, do what Abraham did. If you're God's kids, do what God does. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. And from this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us, or they are not all of us. But you, this is what I want to get to, verse 20, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know, it says in the New American Standard, but in the Greek it says, you know all things. This is what it says. Listen to this very carefully. Reject the lies 
cling to the truth. And if you don't know what's a lie and what's truth, in one, one example, the, you know, you, you hear things about, you know, you're going to see stuff on the news all the time. The hospital that got blown up, and then you don't know if it's Israel, you don't know if it's Palestine, and you go back and forth because you listen to different people, you know, and you just don't know. Well, you're not going to know. It's called the fog of war. Some things you'll know, some things you won't know, and this is just going to keep going to a certain point. So you walk in love. You walk in a place of peace on the inside of you. You don't fill your home up with, with, with words that bring hatred because it always comes back upon your own house. Here's, here's the thing. You have the Holy Spirit. You don't need me to tell you. You don't need some other preacher to tell you. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Scripture. Jesus was armed with nothing more than the Scripture with a body to do the will of God as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. That's all he had. This is the sword of the Spirit. It is the Word of God. It is sharp, and it's two-edged, and it's able to divide asunder between soul and spirit. And it can understand things. If you will abide in God's Word and listen to the Holy Spirit, then John said very simply, you're not going to need to worry about getting tricked by Antichrist because you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Let's stand together. Father, I pray this morning that we would reject the lust of the flesh, we would reject the lust of the eyes, we would reject the boastful pride of life, that we would not allow this culture and this world that we live in to lead us around by the nose like we're a bunch of cattle. People are led by the lust of the flesh and everything they do every day is just according to the lust of the flesh. People are led by the lust of the eyes. They don't want to be in the dark. They don't want to be people that don't know the truth. They spend hours and TikToks and Facebooks and YouTubes and just so they can understand all the latest things and know all of this stuff, Lord. We don't want to be led that way. We want to be led by your Spirit. Amen. And we don't want to lift ourselves up with this boastful pride of life. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be like you, Jesus, just to say no to Satan, even when he's quoting Scripture. To say, no, that's not what the scripture really says. Amen. And I will not cast myself down from the pinnacle of some temple just to prove or to make God prove something to me. Help us, Lord, just to be led by the Spirit of God, for these are the sons of God. I pray, God, that you would give us wisdom in these days because we are your ambassadors and we are called to pray and that our prayers would be according to scripture. I pray that our hearts would be right, Lord, that we wouldn't hop on to bandwagons all the time, but we'd just be led by the Spirit of God and walk in the peace of God, Lord. And I pray that you would establish your peace, your way in Jerusalem today, and that you would bring salvation, that you would bring salvation to Israel today by opening their eyes to look on him whom they have pierced. That you would bring salvation to Arabs today by revealing yourself to them 
and for them to know that you are not just a great prophet, but you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That all those who have been deceived today by the lies of the Antichrist, that you would begin to break down those barriers with your word, which is a hammer and which is a fire, and that you would pour out a spirit of grace and supplication, Lord. And in these days ahead of us, Lord, days of war, days of death, that we would never find inside of ourselves a... that we would not embrace a culture of death, that even things that are necessities, that our desire would be for peace, that our desires would be for healing, that our desires would be for your love to reign in the hearts of men. That we would just do what you told us to do and pray for kings and those who have authority on this earth. We sang that song today, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. And as we were singing it, I just heard this in my heart and the kings of earth will grow strangely dim. Lord, that you would just put yourself on the on the world stage today and that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because you are the Lord over Ishmael just as you are the Lord over Isaac just as you are the Lord over all of us pagan heathen Gentiles who are so far away from you that we worship lots of gods we still celebrate Halloween. It's coming right up now. Because we're still pagan, heathen Gentiles. We still remember the days when we worshipped the trees and the demons and wore a little mask around and danced around fires. And we still think it's fun. We still pass out candy and teach our kids this. Yeah, it's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? When we look at it that way, Lord, I ask that you forgive us, Lord. Yes that we'd not think, as it says in, Re in Romans chapter 11, that we're somehow better than the Jews or we're somehow better than the Arabs or better than anybody else, Lord. That we would not be lifted up with pride and be arrogant toward one another. Yes. That we would stand in the place He gave us to stand, that of the Great Commission. And that our prayers would work in that direction, Lord to see the gospel preached both in Israel and in Palestine, or the lands we call Palestine, both in Russia and in Ukraine, both in China. Oh, could Jesus actually move in China today? Well, he has over and over again, and he is today. Could Jesus actually move in North North Korea? Is there some difference between the Koreans that live in the north and those that live in the south? Is there some place on this earth that's closed to Jesus? Is there something that he's limited in that he cannot do? Lord, I pray that you'd break down the walls of North Korea. I pray that you would manifest yourself in that place. And I pray that you would do it in such a miraculous way that it would happen before the physical walls come down. 
that you would just invade North Korea. I pray that you would invade China today. I pray that you would invade the United States of America, that you would go into the cities like Portland, Reno, wherever, Lord, Chicago, Baltimore. Lord, I know that you have a remnant in every one of these cities. I know that there are men and there are women and there are young people that are praying for their cities. I pray that you would send revival on this earth, Lord. And you would do it in such a way that in every city and in every country, that it would be like a bucket of cold water poured on our heads. And we'd realize, wow, God did that without my help. God's really on the move here. No prophet had some oracle about it. Nothing was revealed to me about it, but look what God is doing. I pray that these would be the days that you would so magnify your name above our names that we would literally be like you said about Jeremiah, that we would just not even have words. We'd be like, I don't have an oracle. I don't have a prophecy. This is just God. This is just God moving. Reveal yourself, I pray, Jesus. I pray, Lord, next week here in Yerington, when Leon Patillo comes here to the church, Lord, that you would manifest your glory in this place. I can't remember the name of that uh, woman who's coming in, in a month, Lord, but that when, when she comes, Lord, with that music that's anointed by you, I pray that you would begin to just explode barriers that stand between people here in Yerington. There's still walls between the Native American community and the white or whatever community we call it. There's still walls between the Hispanic community and the English-speaking communities. Lord, there's walls all over this city. There's walls between rich and poor. There's walls between those who have authority and those who have not. Lord, I pray that you would just, rather than us just thinking about Gaza and Israel, that you would bring down those walls that separate us here in Yarrington that you would truly make this a place of refuge, not a place with a bunch of little jail cells where we're all just sitting confined where we are. That you would open things up, Lord. That you would reveal yourself. That there would be revival in this city, Lord. I pray. I pray that there would be revival in our homes. There are people whose marriages are severely troubled today. Where between a husband and wife, there's the same thing that's going on between Israel and the Palestinians today. Only without rockets and guns, but with words. There are marriages that are seriously in trouble today, Lord. And each one is taking sides, trying to get, gather allies together against the other. And it's not your will. Your will is that that family be saved, that that family be healed. Lord, I pray that you would break down the middle wall that stands between us. You would establish your love and your peace in our homes. The only Hebrew word that everybody on earth probably knows is shalom. And that your shalom would be established in our lives, Lord. Because how can we say we're the children of Abraham if we won't do the works of Abraham? And all the more so the children of God if we won't do the works of God. Convict us, O oh Lord. We're already condemned. 
convict us so we don't feel that condemnation, that reminder of our sins. And set our feet on the right path so that we walk in the righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus. I pray this, O oh Lord. Help us. Help me. Help us to be people of love. Children of our Father in Heaven who is love. Help us not to make excuses for the Beatitudes, excuses for the Sermon on the Mount. How embarrassing for us as Christians if we would reject the whole foundation of our faith. Help us to be challenged by these things. Before we hit somebody back, help us just to stop for a second and think, is there some way that I can defend my home, defend everything like I'm supposed to, but also turn the other cheek? Is there some way that I can give away my undershirt also when they demanded to take my shirt away from me? Is there some way that I can walk the way that you said to walk? Because the meek will inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. And all the starlings will fall someday. And even the stars of heaven will be rolled up like a scroll. But you, O oh God, will create a new heaven and make a new earth where we will live for you, together with you forever. Lord, let there be a spirit of meekness, of humility, of listening before we act. We've heard it since we were little kids. There's a reason that God gave us two ears and only one mouth, that we would listen before we speak, that we would remember the words in the, in the epistle of James, that we should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Yes, there's a place for anger, but why do we rush to that anger? That we would be slow to that anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God, as it says in the Scripture, Lord. I pray that you pour out a spirit of grace and supplication, and upon us in Yerington also, Lord, and that our hearts would turn to look on you, whom we have pierced, as we sang today. I turn away in shame because it's, it is I that mocked you on the cross. That we all are guilty. We all put you to that cross, Jesus. And that we would not turn back to that life where we begin to trample your blood under our feet and crucify you unto ourselves again. That we would move on from glory to glory and from faith to faith. I thank you for times like this, Lord, because I believe times like we live in right now in the world, they are testings for our hearts and challenges for us, Lord where we get to see what our attitudes are really like. And we get to make those adjustments before it's too late. And I thank you for that this morning. Help us to adjust our hearts. Adjust our hearts with you. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvillianfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.